I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to test out a startup idea in seven minutes ish. We're shooting for seven. The clock hasn't started yet on the actual test. I'll let you know when it does. I don't know you personally. We haven't actually met, but at the same time, I do know you. If you listen to this podcast, I can all but guarantee that over Thanksgiving break, you had a startup idea. Probably a few. You couldn't help it. For people like us, the holidays are breeding grounds for startup ideas. You're off work, so your brain is relaxed and open and soft. You're with family and friends, which drops your guard even further. You see people you haven't seen in a while and spend way more time talking and catching up and hearing about what other people do than normal. Also, there's wine. So you get flooded with inputs, and your soft brain makes connections. There's a Chinese proverb I love, and at the risk of sounding like a bit of a jackass quoting a Chinese proverb as I write this from a library in Connecticut, here it is. Tension is who you think you should be. Relaxation is who you are. When you're tense, your brain can't make the connections that reflect your potential. When you're relaxed, it can. So, during the holidays, we have ideas. If you're already known as the startup person in your family or group of friends, people will pitch you stuff willy-nilly over the holidays. My uncle has pitched me his startup idea, which is just Yelp, every year since 2008. Or, even better than that, people will tell you the big problems they're facing that they wish you'd build something to solve. A friend told me he'd love to buy an apartment in Denver because he just started a new job and he'll have to be in Denver one week a month. He wants to Airbnb it out the other three weeks, but he's got no idea what that entails. How much would he make? What are the fees? What's required? Would someone else manage it for him? Can you get someone at Tacklebox to start that? He asked. So you probably came out of Thanksgiving a few pounds heavier with a few ideas in your back pocket. Today, we're going to test one of them, specifically the one that I had, and we're going to do it in seven minutes. This idea has been bouncing around in my head for months, but it took shape after a conversation with a friend the Monday before Thanksgiving. As I record this, it's the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, the day before this will be released, and I'm still pretty pumped about it. The goal of this podcast is to make the first step of starting a business easier, to find the simplest, fastest way to get elbow deep in an idea so you can get some perspective and context and momentum and growth. A few data points that'll help you decide to keep going or to stop. The secret for building a successful startup is that there is no secret. Everyone is pretty mediocre at starting businesses to start, and like everything, the more you do it, the better you get. So, the more ideas you test, the more likely you'll have one that works. As I wait for our little guy to be born in the next couple of weeks, people keep giving me the same advice, verbatim. They say that the days are long, but the years are short. For people with startup ideas, I've watched the years slip away. I can't tell you how many people I meet who have been sitting on ideas, waiting for the perfect time. But the lights are never all green. Look at my uncle. Poor guy's been sitting on Yelp since the Bush administration. The challenge is always the first step. It's hard and unclear and daunting and won't ever not be any of those things. Unless we do it a lot. Unless we productize it. If you productize it, so you've got a system for confronting whatever big, hairy question sits at the front of your idea. Testing ideas can become not that big of a deal. Maybe you test out 10 next year. Maybe one changes your life. 
So let's get to my idea and the system I used to get the ball rolling in a week and see where I'm at now so that you can do that too. After a little smooth jazz. Hey, we've got a few slots opening up for Tacklebox where we help people turn ideas into startups as a few of our founders have now outgrown the core program as their businesses have scaled a bit. So if you've got an idea you've been sitting on and you want to turn it into a startup, let's do it. And to sweeten it a bit more and maybe kick you in the butt a bit, if you apply in the next two weeks and get accepted, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just head to gettacklebox.com and apply with what you're working on and put code HOLIDAY in the application when it asks for a referral code. We've probably got room for three or four more startups, so if you're interested, get on it. Back to it. Is it worth your time? The first thing to know about startup ideas is that they're like that Tolstoy line as we just rumble on with the quotes and proverbs. Happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Successful startups are all alike, or at least they rhyme, and they all require three things to start. So as you sit down the path of looking for a startup idea that's worth your time, you want a pattern match to make sure your idea fits the three characteristics of startup ideas that could work. First, you've found a customer with a problem that they are already motivated to solve. One that, if solved, would help them jump status levels. We've called this a bleeding neck problem the past couple of months, and I'm simply not going to stop no matter how much it grosses you out. That is the point. Bleeding neck problems are the only ones worth your time because they're the only ones the customer will be frantic enough to solve. Second, an inexpensive way to find and convert that customer. Usually this is a niche channel that's too small for competitors to focus on or even to know about, or a message that's so compelling it cuts through the noise on big channels. I've been calling that a sharp knife message as Tacklebox content basically becomes a Chucky sequel. Ideally, these first customers act as the hub in a hub and spoke model. Each new customer you get tells 10 more. This requires the customers to speak with other customers about this bleeding neck problem and for the problem to matter enough that once it's solved, that person cannot stop telling other people about it. Your biggest challenge these days is going to be customer acquisition. Up your success rate with customers that talk in uncluttered, inexpensive channels. Third, you need a differentiated product that solves the problem and has big margins that allow you some flexibility early on. This is important, but usually comes as a result of doing number one well. This isn't a brilliant product. It's brilliant customer selection. If the problem you're solving is big and hairy and important, or a term a new friend used, which I loved, wicked, if the problem is wicked and customers haven't found a way to solve it, they'll pay to have it solved. The secret is always the pain point and the specific knowledge you've got on how the customer solves it now and what they really want to have happen, their job to be done. The innovation is usually in your perspective and rarely in some sort of new tech or product. So a motivated customer, a way to reach them, and a differentiated product with big, fat margins from day one. Your job, then, is to find customers that already fit these criteria. You won't get someone to start caring about a problem or start talking with their friends or realize something is actually worth what you'd love for them to pay. These things need to exist already. That's the counterintuitive bit. So we need a way to search and see if our idea has customers that fit those criteria. And now I'll tell you about my idea. And then we're going to hit the clock. Email stinks. There's an idea that's been rattling around in my head for a while. Like all great ideas, it's huge and it's tiny. The huge statement is big and obvious. Email is awful. It's just terrible. Everyone knows that. 
If email didn't exist and I said to you, hey, I've got this product I want you to use. Basically, it allows any jackass to contact you as much as they want, and you can stop them from contacting you, but you've got to go through a process to do it, and sometimes that requires you writing them a message that says, please, for the love of God, stop emailing me. And the kicker is, there will be some really important stuff in there too, but that'll just look like all the other messages, and some people trying to sell you stuff will get really good at making their messages look like the other important messages. And to further screw you up, people who will write you important messages like your bank will also send you salesy messages and they'll use the same tone. Also, your personal messages will all be mixed in with customer messages and business messages and you'll probably use it as a to-do list sometimes and people will gamify the whole thing and try to get you to empty it every night for something called Inbox Zero. To sum it up, it's basically a place where strangers can add things to your to-do list for free and you're going to feel guilty if you don't do them. You're also going to probably end up spending four to five hours a day in this product, 20 hours a week, a thousand hours a year, just opening it up and looking to see if any strangers have given you any new tasks that'll help them and not you. 1,000 hours a year, completely and utterly wasted. If you value your time at $100 per hour, which should be your baseline is probably way too low, then this product will take about $100,000 of earning capacity away from you every year. You want this? That was probably too long and I got a little carried away, but you get it. Email is an absolute effing disaster and fixing it would help literally everyone. The TAM is just everyone. That is the big picture. But it's a classic wicked problem. It's embedded in our lives and it isn't going anywhere anytime soon. You aren't just swapping out email on day one. And that is the beauty of the idea. It can zoom way in too. Zoom big ideas in to find the bleeding neck problems for customer segments you can build a solution for. This is where you have to practice choosing people. The people I want to choose are freelancers and people running businesses with less than five employees. People who want to grow. People who waste 20 hours a week in email. People that know they should have a VA or a virtual assistant that cuts those 20 hours a week down to two, but people that just can't for some reason. People whose business and life would fundamentally change if they freed up 20 hours of their week. My idea is to do that for them. Start the clock. The three-step structure for testing an idea. The three-step structure has three steps. There are lots of tactics for each step, and we won't get into them all. But the method, the thing you should follow, has those three steps. The first is picking the customer you'll start with. It's all about whittling. To understand their process and their current pain points and their job to be done. To understand where they are, where they want to be, and most importantly, why they can't get there. The tactic I love for this step is the simplest one. Customer interviews. When done right, they open up the world. When skipped, like they usually are, they lead to failed startups. Most people skip step one and just build something big and broad and then hope and pray, and it doesn't work. So either they do customer interviews six months too late, or just never get anywhere. This first step is hard. Don't skip it. We're going to make it easier. The second step is picking the dam you're going to break through. It's all about process. A great customer is on the river to some place they really want to go, but they've hit a dam. A great entrepreneur recognizes the first dam and builds a product that breaks it down while staying in the customer's current process. It helps them solve a problem immediately. The third step is testing that dam to make sure it is one that matters. 
We think this dam is holding them up, and we think we've got messaging that'll get them excited enough to try something new, and we think we can find them, and we think we can charge them. This step tests those four key things. Can we find them? Can we build enough trust to convert them? Can we get them to pay? And most importantly, can we deliver value? And can we do it in a way that yields maximum feedback? Can we do it with them literally to see how they act? Ethnographic research is always the goal. Here is how I went through these steps with my email idea. First, the customer. I'd had some experience with this customer. I am this customer. That is always helpful. So I started with a hypothesis. There are lots of freelancers and small business owners, five or fewer employees, who should have a VA handle their email, but don't. But I wasn't really sure why. I had some ideas, but it's way better to just ask people. So I ran some interviews. There were three types of customers I needed to talk to. First, small business owners and freelancers. Second, VAs. And third, people who run VA agencies. The small business owners and freelancers would tell me about why they did or didn't have VAs to handle their emails. The VAs would tell me about interacting with those types of customers from the other side. And the people who ran VA agencies would tell me how they market to and acquire the small business owners and freelancers. This gives me a 360 degree view of the problem and the current solution. I started with my potential customers. I've got a Rolodex full of these people from Tacklebox, so it wasn't that hard. I sent 10 emails and scheduled five interviews in a 48 hour period. But to get some cold interactions, I had a friend who's a freelancer post something in a freelancer Slack they're a part of, asking if anyone wanted to speak with me about a product that'd possibly help them find five to 10 hours a week. I got two more interviews from that. During the conversations, I asked the classic interview questions. Tell me about your biggest problems. Walk me through your day yesterday. Walk me through last week. How do you spend your time? What don't you have time for? That sort of thing. When we landed on email, as we always did, I asked what they'd done to try to optimize it. Nearly everyone I spoke with had considered a VA. Actually, this exact quote, I know I should have a VA, I just haven't been able to get there, came up nearly verbatim four times. This sent me into the five why mode. First, why couldn't you get there? Well, said one particular freelancer, because I didn't even have enough time to get everything in order for a VA. Why? I asked annoyingly. Well, because my inbox is just such a disaster. Hundreds of emails. I'd need to do like 20 hours of work just to get to the point where I could use a VA. So I just never have had that time. Why? Well, it's... And then the line came. The thing I heard multiple times after probing in a way that made just about everyone uncomfortable, but finally got us to the core issue. The person continued. It's embarrassing. My company is kind of a mess. I don't want to show it to anyone until I've cleaned it up a bit. And there it was, a possible dam. Insecurity about their business, the old imposter syndrome chestnut. The job to be done is always emotional. When I spoke with VAs, I've used one in the past and pinged her, and then I just asked a few who'd solicited me over email. I asked about working with this type of customer. I heard some interesting stuff, namely that the big deal was just email filtering. Well, one VA told me, you can fix like 90% of email bloat with some simple Gmail filters and autoresponders. I filter all emails that aren't from clients immediately, then sort through those and end up deleting like 95% of them. Then the ones that seem important, I put into the core inbox. 
I check on the inbox every two hours to make sure there isn't anything that needs immediate response. Although after a couple of weeks, I can usually handle nearly every client email with some form text from the client. The hardest part by far, they continued, is the initial filtering process. It's painful and takes a few weeks usually, but once that's done, I can get our clients down to maybe 15 minutes in their email a day. And it takes me maybe an hour, but usually less to do it on my end. Then I get on helping them with other stuff. That is usually where things become more complicated. Email is pretty turnkey. Nothing else really is. For reference, the customers I interviewed were all sitting at four to six hours of email a day. This VA was confident she could get them down to 15 minutes. Could the blocker really be that they were just embarrassed? I spoke with someone who runs a VA agency to learn more. She told me they didn't really work with this customer. When I asked why, she said, it's usually a logistics thing. Lots of the small businesses need help with email and customer interaction stuff, but that ends up just not being that many hours a week once we put in a system. And we have minimums. It just doesn't really make sense for us to work with people who need less than 10 to 20 hours a week, which lots of them can't afford. So the VA does five hours of email work or two or three and kind of invents things to do or the client gets stressed trying to think of what's most important or what the VA can handle without a ton of oversight. We end up just not working with these folks. Well, all right. The dam. In interviews, customers talked a lot about frustration around growth. They had too much distracting work that didn't allow them to work on the business. They were always working in it. They used that phrase. They wanted to operationalize and productize and outsource, but everything was so scattered and manual and one-off that getting it all set to do would take time they just didn't have. They didn't have time to think about how to free up time to think. The first part of this would be getting their email under control. And the first dam, the one I wanted to attack, was getting over the embarrassment at how much of a disaster their email was and taking a step towards operationalizing it. We wouldn't try to sell them a VA. We'd say, we'll get your email organized enough that you could hire a VA if you wanted to. My customers knew that email was distracting them, holding them back, keeping them from their higher level strategy work. If I solved the first step for them, getting email under control and offloaded, it moved them towards a business that could act and grow like the business they envisioned. My hypothesis for attacking this dam was simple and came from the VAs, filters. A filtering system in Gmail, which is the service that most of the people I interviewed used for email. This filtering system would save them 10 hours a week. The test. I want to see if the message of organizing your Gmail so that every email is filtered properly is compelling enough to get people to take action. Here is how I tested it. First, a quick landing page for the product. I'm calling this product for now the Email Filter Machine. The H1, the header at the top of the page, said, quote, get 20 hours of your week back. The H2, the copyright beneath it, said, quote, we help small business owners filter and automate their Gmail inbox so that only profit generating or keeping emails get your immediate attention. Work on your business, not in it. As for the details on the product, I kept them sparse. Quote, we'll set up a filtering system that'll only let the most important emails into your flow. This is step one for handing off your email entirely to a VA, though you might not need to. The call to action was sign up for a 20 minute call so we can see how you handle email now and how much of your time we can save. Don't worry, however messy you think your email is, we've seen much worse. As for price, it was $200 a month and I had a little copy beneath it. 
The email filter machine is $200 per month or roughly $5 per hour will save you. A VA would average $2,500 for this amount of work. Then a button that linked to our Calendly. I sent this out to everyone I interviewed and then had them send it out to some other freelancers and small businesses that they know. I've gotten a bunch of responses and I've actually run two of the 20-minute sessions to see how people use their email and to see how I can best filter it now. I've got some ideas. It seems like three features could create enormous value. First, the filters. They'll definitely require some work. Things like a continually updated list of our customers' clients or people they're having meetings with. It might even require a calendar hookup. But everyone I've spoken with doesn't have any sort of filtering system now. At all. They just check their email a ton looking for important stuff. This is ridiculously low-hanging fruit. Second, autoresponder forms. About 40% of people's incoming mail were cold emails for sales. Some of these might be interesting, but they're not worth being distracted over. An autoresponder that has the salesperson fill out one sentence, quote, we'll help you X so that you can Y, and have a weekly digest that had everyone's one-liners would be useful for the entrepreneur to scan through. The final feature might be a digest of the important emails that come through maybe three times a day. This is all technical stuff, but it comes directly from people's problems and actions. So how does this match up with our ideal structure? To remind you, those are that customers are already trying to solve this bleeding neck problem, that there's a unique channel we can reach them through, and that we have a differentiated product with big margins we can deliver. So far, we're one for three, with a good beat on the other two. The customer really wants to solve this problem, and we've got some insight into them as to why it currently isn't being solved. The channel, we're pretty far away on. We need to do some work there. It requires interviews and testing. The product, we're actually getting kind of close. I do think it's very feasible to build. There's a way to probably Wizard of Oz it with a lot of it being manual to start. And technically, it's not actually that difficult. We're getting there. The end. Okay, I think that stayed fairly close to seven-ish minutes, hopefully. But most importantly, I hope it's inspirational in whatever way makes me as unimpressive as possible. You could have done every single thing I did over the past week. And you should, all the time. Every time something is interesting, pull on the thread, speak with people, find the dam, run a test. Interviews, a landing page, see what's there, get momentum. You don't want to be the guy at dinner in eight years talking about Yelp, and you won't be. Be curious and take action. The secret is, and always has been, that there is no secret. This stuff just takes reps. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got an idea and want to test it out like we did today, but with some guidance from me and the team, apply at gettacklebox.com. We're currently running a 50% off special for another week. Use code HOLIDAY in your application for half off month number one. And if you aren't interested in the program but made it this far, give us a little holiday gift. Write a review on Apple and leave us five stars. It makes a huge difference. Have a great week.